All right, Irish fans, welcome in to another edition of the Golden Homers podcast. Uh, thanks for tuning in over the last few episodes. Uh, this is going to be episode number three. Um, me and Mason have hinted at this here for a couple days now that we're going to have a, a pretty big, um, a pretty big plug, I guess, of sorts. Um, you know, on the show, uh, Tom Tom Loy um, over at Irish twenty four seven Sports, Irish Illustrated, um, and we're actually going to begin right now. So, uh, Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. And I know Mason, you did a really good job uh, just talking to Tom over the last you know few weeks, getting him on. I know me and you, you know, both have you know great admiration for him. Um, I mean, if you're if you're a Notre Dame fan, obviously he Tom is a, a a great follow on Twitter, a great follow, you know, just on Irish Illustrated in general. You should sign up there to get all your recruiting news and notes. Um, you know, they just do a terrific job over there. And me and Mason have always looked up looked up to Tom and, and you know in that industry for a long time. Um, but no, we just wanted to you know give Irish fans just a, a, a taste of. Uh, you know, everything that, you know, kind of goes on in the everyday life of, of Tom Loy and, you know, just kind of, you know, give some recruiting scoop as well. So, uh, Mason, I know you have maybe a question to start it out. Yeah, Tom, thanks again for joining us. I really do appreciate it, man. And uh, the, the GOAT in, uh, in terms of Notre Dame recruiting. So it's always cool to, to pick your brain a little bit and uh, hear what you've got to say. So, first of all, we wanted to start out with what are your thoughts on the 2022 class? I think it's exceeded a lot of people's expectations. How do you kind of view it? Um, well, first, obviously, I appreciate the kind words leading into this. Um, you know, for me, uh, this has been, you know, being around the Notre Dame program in general and the fan base, like you guys are incredible, so passionate, uh, top notch, just fun to deal with. Um, so you guys, I mean, and, and not, not to mention beyond just, you know, you guys being Notre Dame fans, you know, both of you guys do great work. Um, super passionate, super knowledgeable. I don't know if enough guys give you as much credit just because you guys are doing this for more kind of casually still kind of cracking into the industry, but um, you know, likewise, they definitely, you know, Notre Dame fans should definitely be following your work. I think you guys both have a, um, you know, if you guys really want to take this to another level, you definitely have a bright future in this industry, but um, regarding, regarding the class as a whole, uh, I really do love it. I think it's one of the best. Um, I think I've been covering Notre Dame since I want to say 2013 is when I, when I moved to Indiana uh, right, right around there. So um, it's definitely one of the best that I've ever been around because I think it's legit. I think that um, there's not a lot of miss uh, misses here when you're looking at star rankings and things like that. I think there's been some question marks in the past, but um, you know, looking at the bottom of the class, I mean, um, I really don't know if there's a true three-star recruit in this class. Um, there's a couple guys I'm a little on the fence about. Um, I love Jaden Bellamy, for example, in terms of his speed but he's very small. So he's got to build that size. So he's a guy that like um, there's that boom or bust. He could be an absolute star, but it's going to take a couple of years. Um, you know what you got in Kurt Heinisch for the last couple of years. So you know what Donovan's going to do at Notre Dame at the bare minimum. So uh, you know, he's going to produce. And then I've made my, my feelings very clear on another three-star Marion Walker out of Louisiana. I mean, I think he's one of the more uh, impressive talents in the country uh, in terms of potential and upside. I think he's going to be a really good one. Again, very lean, very small, um, you know, weight-wise. But that guy has a chance to be an absolute star at the next level. And I was saying that well before, um, really before Notre Dame was pushing for the commitment and well before Michigan, LSU, Alabama even offered. So um, just kind of looking at the bottom of the class, like that's kind of what I'm saying. Like there's so much talent um, in this class that 
when you pair it with the 21 group and then you already look ahead to what they can do potentially in 23. I mean, you see why there's all eyes are on Notre Dame now and, and what they've done so far, but why the future is even brighter under Brian Kelly. And then um, obviously whoever takes over for him in a couple of years, whenever that may be, but obviously Jalen Sneed is, is, is one of the, if not these stars in the class. Um, he's about as elite as you'll find. Um, he's a difference maker. Um, I don't necessarily know how fast he is straight line speed, but um, he has every intangible you look for. And, and, and then on the field, he's just, he's just a special, special player um, kind of moving on the opposite side of the ball. I absolutely love what they got in CJ Williams and Tobias Merriweather, especially with Merriweather. I mean, he's the guy that like I look at as um, a guy that's going to be a star at the collegiate level, especially as he continues to fill out and then take his talents to the next level. When you're looking for a guy that could be a, a you know, first, you know, top 60 pick in the NFL draft in a couple of years. Um, he's really that guy. CJ Williams is more polished right now than many receivers across the country. There's probably only a handful that have uh, more polish right now. Um, I, I'd like to see him continue to increase his speed, um, but he's got the physical frame and size to compete right away from day one at Notre Dame. But, um, you know, overall, there's just so much to like about this class. I mean, I could go on for days talking about guys like Ty Chan, who I think has that first round potential. Um, if he's as big as I, you know, he's listed, if he's legit six six three hundred right now, maybe 310, then like, you know, obviously you don't want to see that he's 6'3 or 6'4. But uh, if that's legit, then then again, you know, crazy potential with that position. He's just strong as an ox. Um, Aiden Gobira on the defensive line is an animal, and he's only scratching the surface with how good he can be. So just top to bottom, man, this, this class, as we've talked about before, absolutely loaded. You know, and Tom, you did mention that this was one of your favorite Notre Dame classes, you know, at least of like maybe the Brian Kelly era and of the era that you've kind of been covering, uh, you know, the team as a whole. Um, you know, and I think that the rankings sort of back that up. I mean, just taking a quick look at the 24-7 composite. Uh, I mean, this is their best rating since 2013 when they landed guys like Jalen Smith, Max Redfield, Greg Bryant, you know, guys like that that were, you know, considered to be immediate impact level players at the college level. You know, obviously Jalen Smith and, and Greg Bryant kind of showed that in their careers max redfield you know sort of had a you know maybe a little bit of a disappointing career at notre dame overall um you know but you know like like you said i mean this is a class that you know sort of maybe doesn't rival that one of sorts but it, but it's certainly up there um you know as one of brian kelly's best classes overall yeah you look at that class at, you know the, the the top end of it absolutely obviously we're still talking about jalen smith but when you go down that list um, with, you know, Redfield and Bryant, um, who that still crushes me to think about his passing. And like, I just, he and I were so close and it was well before I even covered Notre Dame a couple years before. And man, that, that, that was a, a, one of the hardest days that I can remember. Um, but you've got Hunter Biven, Tarian Folston, you know, Isaac Rochelle has outperformed a lot of people's expectations, Steve Elmer. So like, I don't expect this Notre Dame class that was – although that class was really high, highly ranked and all, a lot of those guys didn't pan out. So I really think that this this 22 group is going to pan out. Um, I think there's legitimate, legitimate difference makers in this group. And um, it's, it's going to be – man, the future of Notre Dame football is going to be fun to watch. You know, it is funny. We, you know, just kind of comparing those two classes a little bit. You go down that list a little bit as well, and you guys – you have guys like Cole Luke, Mike McGlinchey. Um, Will Fuller, Durham Smythe, James Onowalu, all guys that did have good, obviously, Notre Dame careers, but then kind of mm -hmm. made a, you know, some of them have made really good impacts in the NFL as well. Are there a few guys that, you know, I mean, I know 
24-7 specifically likes to do, you know, the top 32 are the five stars specifically because that's sort of how you would rank them from a, you know, a first round perspective in the NFL draft. Are there a few guys that maybe you can see making a, um, you know, like a Mike McGlinchey who was pick nine in the draft and, and Will Fuller, who was a first round pick as well. And guys that, you know, were, were ter- tremendous players in Notre Dame. Are there, are there guys in this class that are maybe ranked in that realm that you think could, you know, catapult themselves to that sort of level? Yeah. I mean, if you look at a guy like Ty Chan, who's um, in the top two, four, seven right now, and he's in the top 200 for the composite, um, you know, that, that's a, that gets you drafted. But I think when, all, all is said and done. I mean, Chan could, um, again, this is tough without seeing him in person. Um, obviously COVID and everything's changed the game over the last year or so, but without seeing him in person, but if, if, unless my eyes are deceiving me, um, this is a guy that I think is going to end up as a top 100 talent and he could be off the board in the first 100, maybe even 60 picks, um, when all is said and done. I mean, I, I really do think Ty Chan's the real deal. Um, Kind of along that same line, um, in terms of a lower-ranked guy that I think is going to outperform his ranking, um, you know, not only in college but at the at the you know come NFL draft time, Eli Raritan is a guy that I'm watching as a potential Mackey Award type guy down the road. And I know we're we're shooting for a couple of years from now, but um, when I talk to people that I really really respect, guys that know way more about football than I do. Um, they're saying that this is the guy to watch um, the the Tyler Eifert comparisons and and stuff like that. Like this is the guy that's going to be the next big thing um, at tight end after you know the current crop leaves campus. So um, I think that I mean when Michael Mayer leaves, I mean this guy Michael Mayer was a special special cat coming out of high school. He was physically developed. He was built. He was ready to go. Um, Eli weight wise is not that far behind. I mean, he's legit 220 um, when he's playing basketball, 230 when he's playing football, uh, if not a little bit bigger this year. Um, but everybody I talk to just raves about this kid and his potentials through the roof. So um, he's just kind of got that athleticism, the length, the speed, the route running, the toughness, the ability to block. Um, they just think this guy is going to be an, an early draft pick again in the first two rounds um, down the road, but you know, not everybody in terms of the the ranking sees it that way or wants to see a little bit more out of him um, during his senior season. But man, this is a guy that like unless these guys are missing something, this guy's going to be a, a legitimate difference maker for a couple years at, at Notre Dame. All right, Tom. So we have kind of discussed what has already been accomplished essentially for Notre Dame in the 2022 and 2023 classes. What's already been done? Who they've already signed, or uh, I guess not signed, but have. Uh, have commits commitments from what's next for Notre Dame? What can fans look forward to? It's always what's next. Yeah, that, that really is. I mean, even when you look at, when you, when you see guys commit, everybody's like, all right, who's next? It's like, can you really like celebrate the win for like maybe three hours? <laughs> no, not for a second. Got to keep clearly, moving. clearly that's the thing. Um, all eyes are on Xavier Nwangpa, the, the four-star safety out of, out of Iowa, who very well could be a five-star when all is said and done. Um, I think it's a Notre Dame, Ohio state battle. The key for Notre Dame is going to, be getting him back on campus in October for the USC game. Um, the Fighting Irish need a, need a big win over a rival in USC, something that they, uh, they've done pretty regularly as of late, and then have Kyle Hamilton play like the first-round talent that we all expect him to be, have Chris O'Leary look like a, a safety genius and a guru at the position, and then you have Chad Bowden who's going to be attached to his hip at all, you know, all weekend long. 
uh, Marcus Freeman's going to do what Marcus Freeman does. And I think in the end, if he ends up picking Notre Dame over Ohio State and Iowa and a few others, uh, I think we'll look back to that weekend in October and think that was the difference maker for Notre Dame. I, I do think the family's on board, especially the mom. Um, I don't think he can go wrong with Notre Dame or Ohio State. I do think that he's closer to the kids um, that are currently committed to Ohio State. But I, I think that he's such a good fit no matter where he goes that that's gonna, those relationships will be developed that weekend because I, I expect like a lot of the commits, if they can make it, they'll be on campus in South Bend that weekend as well. So he'll, he'll connect well with those guys. Um, moving along, the rest of the, the, the top target board for Notre Dame, you got a couple defensive linemen um, in Cyrus Moss, Anthony Lucas, and Hero Canoe. Um, if you were to ask me who I think they have the best shot with, um, although I don't love them uh, right now for either for any all three of them, um, I'd say a hero canoe, I guess, at this point. Um, but even that, I would give Ohio State the edge. Anthony Lucas, I'd give Miami the edge right now. There's some family ties there. And then Cyrus Moss, I have leaning towards Oregon. But again, like if, if any of these guys were to pick Notre Dame, any three of the any of these three, um, it really wouldn't shock me. Um, canoe has a good relationship with Mike Elston and he's and he's kind of developing that with with Marcus Freeman. Um, Anthony Lucas has a good relationship with Elston as well, as does Cyrus Moss. But um, I think that the key there will be getting them back on campus. I know Lucas is going to return. Canoe's going to return. We'll see if Moss does or, or, you know, if he decides to get back on his own dime. But, that you know, that's going to be – I think all three are going to be tough pulls. But, um, again, my gut says they have the best chance with Canoe. But, again, they're going to have to win a, bad, a battle with Ohio State. Uh, moving, moving down the list, we got Emil Wagner, a four-star offensive tackle out of Dayton, Ohio, and uh, Wayne High School in Dayton, Ohio. Um, Ohio State, Penn State, Notre Dame, Kentucky are the four teams to know there. Maryland's in it, but I don't think they're on the same level as the others. Um, Ohio State's turned up the heat as of late from what I'm told, but like when you talk to this kid, you spend five minutes on the phone with him, he's very serious about academics, life after football. Like That four-for-40 pitch that Notre Dame makes – is very real and it really connects home with him. I think that his last visit to Notre Dame was kind of an eye opener with Jeff Quinn and Tommy Reese leading the charge there. So it'll be interesting. I think that's a that's a, a battle that Notre Dame, you know, in a couple of years is going to like really love that they realizing that they won because he's he's got a ton of potential. He's so lean right now, but he's he's a couple of years from competing. Uh, but he's you know who knows? I mean, J- Joe Alt was 240 pounds when they recruited him, and Mills around 260. So. Uh, we'll see how quickly they uh, they add the weight. Um, you know, Alts already at 300 pounds. So, um, but I think that's going to be that's a win that they need to get. I'm not ready to crystal ball him yet. Um, a lot a lot to be played out there, and he's he's a long ways from making a decision. So so he's definitely still on the board. Sticking with the offensive line, we have Billy Shrout that we've been talking about uh, probably for far too long uh, regarding a, a Notre Dame target. He's still not committed. Um, the latest smoke had him making a commitment to Wisconsin in the near future that still hasn't happened yet. So that's, that's kind of intriguing. Um, there was chatter that it should have happened last week. Um, and my sources, one of my best sources thought he was going to pull the trigger for Wisconsin last week and he still didn't, um, at least publicly. So we'll have to see what happens there. This kid from what my sources had told me a long time ago was he was a silent commitment. I feel very, very strong and confident in reporting that. Um, he obviously didn't go public with his Notre Dame commitment and that obviously, um, upset the Notre Dame staff and they, you know, they went from like, we, we have this guy locked up to now we don't know what he's going to do. So it'll be very interesting. I think he's one of the better interior 
offensive lineman in the country. His dad's a big Notre Dame fan. That side of the family are big Notre Dame fans. Um, I don't think the mom's side of the family necessarily shares that same fanhood. Um, so it's going to be pretty interesting. I think one side's pulling one way while the other is, you know, pulling the other. So it'll be interesting. But yes, the latest pulse does have Wisconsin as the team to beat. Um, and then I'm trying to think who else we have. Oh, Major Everhart is a kind of a recent name to the to the board. Um, he's a electric receiver, running back, target out of Texas that Tommy Reese and Della Alexander are all over. A really talented kid. So. Um, it'll be very interesting, uh, you know, to see when he gets on campus and if Notre Dame can make a run there. And, and obviously the other guy we haven't talked about is Quinshawn Judkins, the running back at Alabama who will visit for the Toledo game. Lance Taylor likes him a lot. They have a really good connection. And, uh, you know, if Notre Dame makes a run there and, and really pushes, I could see him landing him. Uh, right now my gut says Auburn, but we'll see if the Irish can land him. So, Tom, my, my kind of question is, you know, we, we've kind of talked about what's next sort of a follow-up question to that i guess in in, in a sense um you know obviously we've we've, we've named you've already named a lot of guys um and we we appreciate that because we we obviously know a lot of your your content is you know it's and all that kind of stuff so we really appreciate you coming on and just you know giving us sort of a you know sort of an inside scoop of sorts um but in general i mean without naming like maybe name or or sources or or you know silent commits whatever see this class wrapping up from uh, i mean they have 21 commits right now do you think that they're going to fall kind of in the you know 24 25 you know maybe what positions are they are they are they at? i mean it kind of goes with what you've already said of sorts but just uh where do you kind of see this this class shaking up when it's all said and done yeah i think that they they want to land uh at least one more defensive back i think xavier nwankwo is a big one so if they can get him that'd be great if not maybe they wait for somebody to emerge um, as a senior, they want another pass rusher in this class. I think that would be very important for, for the for the staff to, to get one more along the defensive line. It's not a it's not a complete need. It's more of a, a want at this point. But when you have the you know like the three guys we already mentioned, like you're gonna you, you want and need those guys uh, if you want to compete with the Alabamas, Clemson, et cetera. Um, I think that they're gonna land another offensive lineman probably two before all is said and done. Um, but again, we'll, we'll see who emerges as a senior. Like you can't tell me that there's not going to be a really talented offensive tackle that just kind of hits a growth spurt this summer and emerges as one of the more impressive linemen in the country or somebody with a ton of upside that can be on par with a type of like a guy like Emil Wagner. So if you miss on him, uh, you miss on Billy Shrouth and there's gotta be somebody, at least one offensive lineman you can find that is going to be, a. a you know, a guy you look at as a multi-year starter at Notre Dame. So guys will emerge there along the interior, but I, I see them landing at least one more offensive lineman. Um, and then I know they want another skill guy. So we're looking at, um, I mean, sure. If Nicholas Singleton were to reach out, they would jump all over having another running back, but I don't necessarily see a need at running back when you, when you have one already committed, especially one as good as Jadarian Price. So I think you're really trying to find that slot receiver type um, or just, you know, some guy that you can line up in the backfield, put out wide or do whatever you want with him. Just a guy and major Everhart really does fit that mold. So I really see him being a guy that, uh, at least I hope that I'd like to see them really push there because I'd like to see him. Um, I think he's the type of kid that you could really put around a lot of difference makers and really watch him thrive. I think he's, he's pretty underrated at this point when you turn on the tape. So I think that's, that should fill the the, the class. I think you're looking around 25, 26, 
um, one or two offensive linemen, a receiver, um, maybe another running back if they if they don't think everyone's going to stick around next year, um, and then at least one more pass rusher and a safety. So maybe four or five guys, something something along those lines. Um, I think that's probably the best bet to fill the class. I think they're at twenty one commits right now, so you're looking at you know twenty five, twenty six guys. Gotcha, Tom and. You know how how fans can be, regardless of their team. You're you already got a lot of the 2022 guys locked up, and then it's always about, like we said, what's next, 2023. So, a lot a big name that a lot of fans have been talking about, not only today but this week, has been Carnell Tate. And you dropped something on Irish Illustrated about him today, without getting into too much of the paid details of Carnell Tate. I just kind of talk about him as a player. What are you really seeing? Uh, is he the kind of guy that really takes Notre Dame to the next level? And what do you really think about him as a player, as a person? And what have you, what have you learned about him and getting to know him? Yeah, it's pretty funny. So I saw Tate. Um, obviously, he's a, for those who don't know, he's a he's a Chicago area native. Like he's from Illinois, and he's finishing his prep career, at least his junior year, at IMG Academy in Florida. Um, but when I first saw Carnell, I want to say as a freshman. Um, I wasn't overly blown away. I thought he was a guy that some of the people that I know in Illinois were, you know, hyping up that may just pan out to be a pretty solid player. Um, But I had a couple of people I spoke with that said, this guy's the next big thing, as long as he can put on good weight. And if he can fill out, like he's going to be a dude. And I went and saw him work out. um, God, this, this COVID stuff's blending together, but I want to say it was last, (laughs) last summer. Um, and I, I was blown away. Um, I, I couldn't believe how, how polished he had gotten. Um, and I may have seen him again in the spring, excuse me. And he, he is so much better than anything I've ever, not only expected, but had seen in the past. Um, he is, you know, a lot of people were talking about him versus Tyler Morris, Caleb Brown, those guys. I would take this kid over over both of them in a heartbeat and it's no slight on Tyler or Caleb because both are very good football players but Carnell Tate has that 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 top 30 top 60 pick probably top 30 like if I was going to guess um if I was going to make my five stars for 23 and the guys that I expect to be a first round pick down the road Carnell Tate fits that mold I think he is a legitimate superstar in, in in the wings like down the road um I'm so excited about this kid's potential he's a great kid I think he's going to be a, a legit difference maker wherever he lands at Notre Dame, Ohio State, you know, Michigan, Penn State, wherever he decides to go. Um, I, I really think he's going to be a special talent at the collegiate level. And he's a guy that, like, you, he'll play early, no question. Um, there's a reason, you know, Tommy Reese and Dell Alexander are all over him. So, yeah, I, he's, he's committing on October 8th. Um, I think he lands at Notre Dame or Ohio State. You know, some of my best sources think he's going to pick Notre Dame, some of my others – say he's, he's been a lean to Ohio State for a while. Um, I really think Carnell has been going back and forth for a while about both schools. He really does have great relationships with, you know, Brian Hartline at, at Ohio State and then Tommy Reese at Notre Dame and Dell Alexander as well. So it's going to be very interesting to see what he does. Um, I know that, you know, he told me his mind is basically made up um, and he didn't come out and say, like, it's done deal. That's where I'm going, this and that. He said He said things could change. So He's going to come back and watch Notre Dame take on Cincinnati. So we'll see if things get impacted then. But but you got to like that Notre Dame's at least going to get him on campus before he commits. So at least it gives him an opportunity to check them out one more time. And, um, you know, quarterback play will help. And, and so it'll, it'll be very interesting. But, um, man, I'm, 
I'm pretty torn on where I think he's going to land. Um, but I, I guess I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer and trust my sources and, and think he's going to pick Notre Dame. But it's so, so close. Yeah, and we know. I mean, Brian Hartline, obviously, like the Marcus Freeman of sorts on the yeah. offensive side of the ball and recruiting. I mean, they recruit the the hell out of the wide receiver position at Ohio State. So um, that would be a huge recruiting win for Notre Dame from just from that standpoint, obviously getting Brennan Vernon out of Ohio you know, earlier this year um, as well um, for the 2023 class. So we're, you know, that, that'd be two huge recruiting wins at state when they're about to play them here over a couple seasons. So um, Tom, just more questions from us. We don't want to take too much of your time. Um, kind of along the lines of Carnell Tate, we did talk about CJ, CJ Williams, Tobias Merriweather and Amorian Walker here in the 2022 class. Um, you know, obviously lo- looks like a, a good replenishment of sorts, um, you know, for the wide receiver position at Notre Dame. I mean, you had Lorenzo Styles, Deion Colsey, uh, Jaden Thomas last year as well. So that's sort of been I mean, I don't want to say it's been a hit or miss position for Notre Dame, um, but at least from a, a fan perspective, I mean, you see it all over the, the 24 seven uh, or the Irish Illustrated boards, um, you know, the uh, the jokes about you know Dell Alexander and just different things like that about you know or or just the the talk about him not necessarily being like the best recruiter, but it does seem like year in and year out Notre Dame lands talent at the position and maybe they've been sort of unlucky with guys like Kevin Austin, Braden Lindsay not being able to stay healthy. What is sort of your position, um, just in general in regards to Notre Dame wide receiver recruiting? You know, it's funny in this in this business it doesn't benefit me to sit here and trash anybody um, right don't think if i trash dell right now and he gets back to him he's going to want to answer my phone call um but <laughs> i will i will be very honest and i think dell alexander is one of the m- more impressive coaches that i've dealt with at the wide receiver position um i don't think he's the best recruiter i think brian hartline does a really good job um of really kind of connecting and developing that relationship with the kids. And, and he's kind of the, the young, cool coach. Uh, but in terms of getting guys to be, become better players um, and better people and NFL ready, Dell Alexander is a really good coach. And I, and I mean that sincerely. And, and he, he's got a track record at Notre Dame where guys are, guys are coming out of this program and, and they're, be, they're getting better by working with him. And I think that's going to continue as long as certain individuals stay healthy this year. Um, and moving forward, I think that's going to, that track re- record is going to continue. So I really do think he's a good coach. I think he's a good recruiter. Um, I, I, I mean, that's the, the thing. It's a small minority of fans that see a guy miss on somebody that casts a wide net. And they're, you, you know, if, they, if Carnell Tate picks Ohio State, everybody's going to freak out and blame Dell, this and that. Like, I get it. You're frustrated. You miss on a top guy. But look what he's landed and we're not, t- I mean, there's not a lot of programs that can put together that type of recruiting class, um, even on, you know, quote, misses. Um, last year's class was a great example. They got another really good class and two top 100 guys and one of the more underrated receivers this cycle. So I don't really get all the complaints. Um, he's, he's offering guys in the 21, he offered guys in the 22 class, for example, that he wasn't going to get. In, in 23, he offered Brandon Innes out of Fort Lauderdale that ended up at Ohio, Oklahoma recently. He was never going to get him. But you know what? He offered him. He took a swing. It didn't pay off. You move on. If Notre Dame fans 
if he if he never offered Brandon Innes, Notre Dame fans would be like, why didn't you offer him? What a horrible horrible decision! But when he offers him and he misses, then he's not going to win. He's not going to win that battle or that argument anyway. So um, I like that he casts a wide net. He he takes his swings. He goes after guys that may not that you wouldn't necessarily expect him to land. I mean, I I think early on, I don't think a lot of people expected him to last land C.J. Williams um, over a lot of schools out west or Texas. Uh, Tobias Merriweather. Um, and even Amari and Walker. I mean, I don't think the funny thing is like people didn't care when Amari and Walker committed until he got the LSU and Bama offers. But, but again, like credit to the eval credit to the recruiting effort, like Dell got it done and has one of the best receiving classes in the entire country. And yet he still doesn't get a lot of credit. So I think people need to really look back and really look at the big picture of the kind of recruiting effort he's done and really appreciate it because he really is a strong recruiter. He just he just offers a lot of guys, and you know what? Like, I, kudos to him because he 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 is getting the job done. Tom, I think we've learned, and this is something I'm sure that you've known for years. But fans are never going to be happy, and especially Notre Dame fans. It seems like fact. <laughs> All right, last question from us, Tom. Again, we really do appreciate your time. I know that you're a hardworking dude, and. Uh, fitness in uh, means a lot so really just this is just something that this is one of the first questions that we listed out when we knew we were going to have you on I just want to know I've always wanted to know what is a day in your life like like just take me through a day in the life um of Tom shout, out, shout out to my guy <laughs> shout out to my people at Orange Theory Fitness um every morning at 8 a.m uh, I'm there getting a workout in um uh, I really just it it, it it just makes my day better to get out with a workout get a workout in, um, especially just with the mental side of this, this job that, I mean, it's, I work for 24 seven sports and this literally is a 24 seven job. Um, shout out to my wife for being so patient through crazy times and, um, understanding that when we're on a highway driving, I need to flip, you know, switch spots with her while we're while she's driving. And then, so I can, you know, write a story or break a commitment or whatever the case may be, but, um, starts out with a workout in the morning, get home. And then basically I'm in front of my computer, um, for the rest of the day until, um, things calm down. I mean, it's nice in the off season when, when I can maybe sneak out and play around a golf or, um, come out to, to go out to Vegas and visit my brother or, uh, you know, go see my family in Pennsylvania. I mean, that part's nice. I mean, there is some flexibility where I can do my job from anywhere. Um, that, but, but again, I mean, it, it's just not a typical job where, you know, I have friends that just go on vacation and take like a full week and seven days. Um, I, I can't do that where I'm not, like I'm just too dedicated and too locked in to really step away. And it's, it's a challenge. I mean, you know, you take the good and the bad. I love my job. I love what I get to do every day. So I'll take the the busy time with it. But um, you know, my wife understands when we go on vacation um, while she's sleeping till, you know, nine or 10 AM, I'm going to be up by five. I want to go get a workout in and then I'm going to be working for, you know, until nine or 10 in the morning. Um, and usually it's the off season. So it's not a big deal, but, um, even when, you know, the guys at Irish Illustrated know when, when I'm on vacation, I'm going to at least post a couple stories that morning, a couple interviews, get it out of the way and then try to take the rest of the day. But, but that's it, man. It's, it's a workout in the morning. And then the rest of the day I'm, I'm dedicated to these guys on the site because that's what they do. They're paying money to, to hang out, talk to me, talk Notre Dame football. I'm, I'm grateful for it. I appreciate it. And I know it's, a room, so, um, it's a great job to have. So I really, I really do enjoy it. Well, again, Tom, we, we really appreciate your time. I know, like I said, me and myself and Mason have, you know, have grown to, uh, or I shouldn't say grown. I mean, we've all, we've all, we've always liked your work. 
Um, but we've, we've become a lot closer with you, I think, over the last year or two as we've sort of kind of niched our own roles in the Notre Dame community. And you've always been really gracious to us and, and, and kind enough to, to give us your time when we have questions or, or, or whatever. I mean, I know you've come out to Vegas a few times and met up. Um, in the past, and I'm sure, you know, Mason's, you know, right down the street from you pretty much. And I know I'm sure, I'm sure you guys have, have at least seen each other in passing. But uh, um, again, I mean, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, Golden Homer fans, if, if for whatever reason you're not following Tom on social media or you're not subscribed to 24 7, um, Iris Illustrated, and, and, and you uh, and, and me and Mason are lucky enough to have your follow instead, please go follow Tom Moy. Um, he's Tom Moy247 on Twitter. Um, and like I said, Irish Illustrated, they always have really good deals with their paid subscriptions and stuff like that. So um, no reason not to get your Notre Dame coverage from 24-7 Sports. No, I appreciate it, guys. You guys, like I said, man, you guys are great people, great friends. I mean, I will say that about the Notre Dame market, like everybody um, for the most part seems to get along really well. I'm, I'm friends with a lot of the guys. Um, you know, Matt Freeman over at ISD is a good friend of mine. Um, don't get to see him often, but Mike Singer is a good dude over at BGI. Um, and I, you know, all, all you, all you guys, I mean, there's not a lot of drama on this beat, not, not none that really should be there. So, um, Notre Dame fans that they're passionate, they're crazy at times, but, um, it really, really makes it fun, um, both from a professional and a personal standpoint, just knowing that there's a bunch of hardworking, passionate people that are on this beat and, uh, it's just fun, man. So I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for the, the podcast. I think it's, I, I listened to your first episode. It was great. So, um, I'm pretty excited for you guys and the direction this is going to go. Thank you, Tom. We really appreciate the kind words. And yeah, like we said, thank you again for, for coming on. And uh, hopefully you'll come on again another time soon. Anytime, guys. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Tom. All right. Uh, back at it here with my with my co-host, uh, Mason Plummer. Um, again, thanks for, for Tom Lloyd for, for coming on here for about, you know, 25, 30 minutes. Um, I think he's we're hoping to have him as, you know, maybe not a regular, but kind of like our go to recruiting guy here on the pod. Um, you know, he's going to give he gives great info as always and is, is uh, hopefully will be a good friend of the podcast moving forward. But uh, have a little Sox Cubs talk um, to, to talk about here. Um, you know, obviously we have a weekend series uh, coming up, um, you know, on the south side, of course. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the the Cubs might be muscles a little bit and get that dh spot <laughs> um but no overall i think uh you know talking off air me and mason were were uh were mentioning that this was you know maybe a little break of sorts uh for the white Sox, who have had a little tough stretch um haven't necessarily been playing their best ball here of late um and you know could very well easily be like a, a sweep of sorts but uh as we were going through the the pitching matchups we both kind of said you know may, maybe hold off on that a little bit i mean this is i think it's actually a a pretty good series for the cubs from a from a matchup standpoint pitching wise um but we know i mean we know how they are i mean that they they could lose a 3-2 game just as easily as they could lose a, a 10-9 game so um, Mason, what, what are some of your thoughts maybe on, I mean, I guess just the White Sox as a whole right now and then uh, going into this weekend series? Yeah, you know, Nathan, I do like to I like to poke fun at you about the Cubs, especially when they're kind of down bad at the moment. But I do mean this in the least jerk way possible, that it is a little bit of a break for the Sox. And that's just because it's been a murderer's row recently. They had the Yankees, then the A's, then the Rays, and I'm watching them play the Blue Jays right now. It's just been playoff teams over and over and over and I'm excited to, to face a team that's just a break from it and of course it has to be the Cubs so it makes it fun for us to talk about but 
I'm hoping it's a little bit of a relief and uh, hopefully some just coasting through a, a team that's just like I said, kind of down bad right now. Unfortunately, that's your team. But um, I think it'll be interesting. You mentioned some good pitching matchups. Um, it's, it's always a good good sign for the other team when they get to face Dallas Keuchel. Um, he's been struggling recently. He's a he's an interesting pitcher in that he's a kind of a, he's a pitch to contact kind of guy, and he relies on the defense. And when that's going great, it, obviously it's going great. But I'd much rather have a guy that's going to overwhelm you with his stuff. And Keuchel's just not that guy anymore, and he never really has been. So we're seeing him at the tail end of his career. And I don't even think he's a guy that's going to be throwing for the Sox unless it's in a bullpen role uh, in the playoffs. So uh, maybe he'll figure it out and turn it around against the Cubs, but I'm not super excited about that. And the Sox have have now thrown – Lynn, Giolito, and, and uh, Cease. Let me see Rodon's pitching on Thursday. So a lot of the a lot of the big names are uh, have pitched. So I think you will see Lynn towards the end of that series, which would be nice. But uh, just, just really just the point I've been hammering home this whole time is the Sox need to keep on getting healthy and the offense needs to continue to improve. The pitching's been there. So uh, just hoping everybody continues to rally and hopefully this uh, – this weekend will be a jump start into what's what should be a little bit of an easier stretch. Yeah. And, you know, and it's not obviously showing up in the win column for the Cubs, but I will say, I mean, I think over the last like week or two stretch, they have been playing a little bit better baseball, Um, you know, just from a, an offensive standpoint, specifically like the top four in their lineup. While none of them besides Ian Happ are names that have been out there over the last couple of years, Right now, they're all hitting pretty well. I mean, Ortega sort of solidified the the um, the leadoff spot for them and has been a really good player. Schwindel, since coming off coming over from the A's as a as a DFA, has been crushing the ball overall. And you know, Ian Happ, his average is still under uh, two hundred. But actually, as we record this podcast, um, he just hit a, a game tying three run bomb um, in the seventh. Uh, against the Rockies to make it eight to eight. Um, and he's actually been hitting really well. I mean, I, f- I think it was a few weeks ago, he was hitting like 175. He's up to close to 200 now. Um, and over the last, like I said, like just like 10 days or so, he's just playing the best ball of his, of, um, you know, of this season. And then Patrick Wisdom has been a guy that's just been hitting for a lot of power for them. So it, it could be an interesting series. Um, one thing I do love about the Cubs-Sox rivalry is that I know when the Cubs were were up, and, and the Sox were down, you know, just, you know, three, four years ago, it always seemed like the, the, the uh, you know, that thorn in the side for the Cubs or, you know, a pain in the ass for them. Um, you know, maybe not sweeping them per se, but, you know, taking a game that maybe they shouldn't have taken, you know, winning two out of three at home or at Wrigley somehow. And, and that's kind of my hope. I mean, obviously Cubs are going nowhere, but as a Cubs fan against the Sox, you know, just to kind of, you know, you know, ruffle the feathers of you and our, some other, uh, some other Sox fans that I, that we both know. Um, it'd be fun if the Cubs took two out of three or even stole a game somehow um, that maybe they shouldn't shouldn't have won. So that's kind of my hope for this series. Uh, one thing I really do like is the Hendricks-Cease matchup at the back end of this series. I mean, anytime Hendricks takes the mound, that's when the Cubs do have a really good chance to win. Um, and I say really good because when you actually look at Hendricks' record, he has won. Game, so it's not just like, you know, he's a good pitcher, so he gives him a chance. For uh, as bad as the Cubs have been, his record is there. I think he has the most wins in the National League, maybe in 
um, in the uh, in entire league right now, which is which is saying something. Um, and then uh, Thompson Keuchel, I know you mentioned Keuchel has been sort of up and down this year. Um, and Thompson is, you know, one of the Cubs better pitching prospects that's up this year was in the, was in the bullpen when the Cubs were still relevant um, earlier on in the season. And, and I think he's a guy that a lot of Cub fans are excited about overall. Um, so that could be an interesting matchup um, as well. Fully expect Lance Lynn to win his um, in the middle game there. Uh, Alec Mills has actually been, you know, a decent pitcher for the Cubs overall. Um, but, um, you know, Lance Lynn, Cy Young Award candidate, I mean, that should be a win almost 90, 98% of the time, I would assume, for White Sox. Yeah, I think Lynn, uh, the last couple times out, he hasn't had his stuff, but hopefully he can rebound. Uh, even when the days he doesn't have his stuff, he's still pretty nasty, and he still has that velocity to where, uh, you know, you see people like John Boy call him FU fastballs, just see if you can hit it, and that, he's always going to have that. Whether, whether he has that slider cut or whatever, um, he's always going to have the FU fastball. So I'm a big fan of that and hoping to see some, hoping to see some this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, we can move on here. This is something that we have been talking about for a while. Um, we haven't done this here in our first two podcasts, um, but we figured, you know, fantasy football or, or football season is right around the corner. Um, might as well talk a little fantasy football. Me and you are both, you know, we're not going to sit there and say that we're fantasy football baller or, or fantasy footballers, um, you know, relevant when it comes to, to just fantasy knowledge and different things like that. But we both um, have been longtime fantasy football players. We both do really well in our leagues, um, in competitive leagues at that. And we, and we take it seriously and we do and we do pretty well. So any of you casual football or, or fantasy football fans out there, you know, that maybe want a, a podcast just to give you, you know, some weekly info here and there. Um, we're going to try to give that to you guys. So hope you stick around for that as well. Um, so today we did take a little bit of um, uh, if you don't listen to the fantasy footballers, by the way, they are great. Um, and, and you should do that. Um, they have a podcast on any on any platform you can get to. Um, but we sort of took a page out of their playbook and we're going to do the my guys. Um, so just a few guys that me and Mason are, or each of us are, are, are very excited about, um, you know, for this season. And one, one way we decided to sort of break it up was to go from, you know, early round guys, middle round guys, and then we each took a late round guy as well. So um, Mason, I know you had a running back um, that's sort of going in like the back half of, of the second round, maybe even in the middle part of the second round is your first, my guy, let's go ahead and talk about him. Yeah. The Kansas city Chiefs second year running back out of LSU, Clyde Edwards, Alaire. Um, he, did pick up an injury recently. I don't want, I don't want to hear comments about that. Acting like I don't know what I'm talking. I think there's a huge opportunity for him with Damian Williams gone now to your Chicago bears. I believe Nathan, right? Yeah. He's a RB two RB three, maybe for the Chicago bears. Okay. So yeah, this, this backfield is looking like all Edwards Hilaire. And I really like his potential for this season. I'm not like we said, we're not going to act like we're experts. I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but he was extraordinarily unlucky when it came to goal line touches and touchdowns in general, when we're talking about how many touchdowns the Chiefs score. So I want to say he was like one for eight inside the five or something like that. And he, he's got to do better. And I think he will do better. Second year running backs under Andy Reid. He's drawing all these comparisons just to some guys that Andy Reid did so well with LaShawn McCoy, for example, their stats are eerily similar, and I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, especially in PPR formats, is going to be huge this year. He's, he can catch the ball really well out of the backfield. That's what he was known for at LSU with Burrow, 
and I think he can make guys miss. He's not going to go down easy, and especially, I mean, you can get the the, the first running back, the, the RB1 in Kansas City in an offense like that, man. I think he's too hard to pass up. If you're a guy that's has one of the first three picks, you're going to get uh, – I, I like to go two running backs – off the off the rip personally so if you if you're one of those guys that's getting let's say McCaffrey Cook Camara then on the way back you can land Edwards Hilaire as your RB2 I just think that's amazing value and what a start to your team you can't ask for much more than that right and the upside there is obviously great if you do land one of those like I have the first pick in my draft uh Edwards Hilaire has you know has fallen into you know fallen in mocks you know to that two three turn um and, and like you mentioned I mean if I could come away with something like you know, CMC, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and then like a Justin Jefferson or a DK Metcalf or something like that, you're looking at a really, really good start to your roster. And it really echoes what you said. I mean, I I, I agree. I mean, Edwards-Hilaire, I'm not a, a huge fan of the talent per se uh, for him, but it's like you said, a positive regression when it comes to touchdowns. He, I mean, he had four, I think, last year. I mean, it's not it's not crazy to think that he could double that which which right there lends to to being a much better um you know fantasy football player in general um and then you know I, and i i read I, I was kind of listening to this the other day and someone made the point i forget where i saw it he's a guy that if he was like a third or fourth round pick last year in fantasy people would probably be looking at him as a first round pick Kind of oh, like absolutely. how Jonathan Taylor was. Yep. But it's because of the fact that he had so much hype around him this past year and he ended up finishing as like an RB2 that he, you know, he's he sort of have, has moved down draft boards or hasn't moved up, I guess. And through and no he, fault of his own. Exactly. So if he's a guy that can catch the ball a little bit more than he did last year, like you mentioned, he, he has the backfield almost to himself. He should be the third option on a really good offense behind Tyreek Hill and, and Travis Kelsey, um, and, and and probably will get some more goal line work uh, this season. So no, I mean I think overall, as long as he's healthy, that's a really really good, um, a really really good pick, especially for his ADP value right now. Yeah, it's all about the opportunity. And uh, Nathan, I'm excited to hear about hear about your first guy. I'm not sure I'm exactly on the same page, but I'm excited to hear you convince me here real quick. Yeah, no, I mean, I kind of mentioned him just now. I mean, like I said, I have the two, I have the first pick in my fantasy draft. My my uh, my fantasy draft is actually this Saturday, um, and one guy I've been pretty much taking every time I can is Justin Jefferson, um, and it it really comes down to, I mean, he was a first year player last year, in a so so offense of sorts, um, had a had a wide receiver established wide wide receiver one and a really good running back that was going to take away, um, you know, opportunities for him. But as the season went on, he just became a, a terrific player. And obviously like I'm talking about Justin Jefferson here, 88 receptions, 1400 yards, seven touchdowns. Honestly, he could go for 1200 yards. And I don't think Adam Thielen's catching 14 touchdowns again next year. So let's just say yardage goes down a little bit maybe receptions stay about the same, maybe go up a little bit as well. But let's just say he ends up with 10 or 11 touchdowns. I mean, we're looking at a guy that, you know, he should be at the very least wide a wide receiver one. And then, you know, maybe finish as like the wide receiver four five, six. And then that's, you know, maybe not that, maybe that's not the upside of ADP, but you're taking a guy at his ADP that's going to be consistent um, and, and can flash wide receiver one potential. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I, I do like Jefferson. I'm not sure about his ADP, kind of like you mentioned. I do like some of the guys around him, and I haven't mocked him a ton, but if he falls to me at the right spot, I have no problem taking him. I think he's established himself as the wide receiver one in that offense. I've been fading Thielen heavily. His touchdown regression is coming for him. I know he's nasty around the goal line, but still, I mean, there's just he scores way too many. It just it's just not realistic for him to keep on doing it. Um, moving forward, moving to the tight end position, I think it's it's widely known and accepted that there's a big three at tight end. We're talking Travis Kelsey, talking Darren Waller, and then George Kittle. Those are the top three. Nobody's going to debate you on that. They, they've separated themselves into essentially their own tier, but a tier within that too because Travis Kelsey is far and away the best tight end in football and in fantasy football as well. However – a guy that I've been taking heavily in the sixth, maybe even the fifth round, TJ Hawkinson. Nathan, I mean, unless you're really an NFL guy, how many receivers are there that like on the Lions roster that really, that you can name? I mean, with, if you really think about it, who's going to be getting all these targets from new quarterback, Jared Goff. I think it's gotta be Hawkinson. His target numbers are going to go through the roof. And who else are they going to throw to? It's the DeAndre Swift and, TJ Hawkinson show. I'm eager to hear your thoughts on Hawkinson and kind of what you see in that offense. No Javon, no, no Javon McKinley hype out of you, huh? Well, not yet. <laughs> no, I'm just messing with you. No, I mean, I, I mean, they have some good, I mean, I think they have some potential, um, you know, at some of their wide receiver spots, they drafted, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown this year as well, who I know me and you are both really high on, um, you know, Quintess Cephas is another guy, but no, you're hundred percent correct. I mean, this was a guy that had over a hundred targets last year at the wide receiver, or I mean, at the tight end position. Um, so, I mean, it, it, different quarterback. I mean, obviously I think I'd rather have Matthew Stafford there than, than Jared Goff overall. Right. But no, like you said, I mean, outside of DeAndre Swift, I mean, he's the best player on this offense um, from a, you know, from a receiving standpoint. And I, I just don't see how he doesn't just eat up targets. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think he's just going to be the guy that Jared Goff looks to, and he's known for looking to his tight end quite a bit. So that's intriguing for me. I If I miss out on those top three guys, like I mentioned, Kelsey Waller, Kittle, maybe if Andrews falls to me, but I'm almost tempted to take Hawkinson over him just on the pure volume. And it, it's kind of falls in the same example of, kind of how I think with Edward Tiller and that opportunity is everything. Talent isn't necessarily everything, but opportunity is. And the, both my guys I've picked so far, I think, have a huge opportunity to, to do great things in fantasy football this year. And with Hawkinson, too, like you mentioned, they I mean, he was a high-value pick for them. I mean, I think he was a top 10, number 9 overall a few years back. So, I mean, that's a guy, you, you know, you, if he ends up a bust, you're pissed. You want that guy to provide value in your offense. That's not just blocking ability. You want you want receptions. You want touchdowns, um, and yeah. So I mean, he and and like you mentioned, I mean, there's just not a lot of a lot around him that is going to sway me to think that he's not going to be the number one target. Um, and, you know, and maybe a mediocre offense, but you know, there's going to be players in mediocre offenses that do well. Um, you know, moving on. I mean, this is a guy that has sort of crept up my board um, over the last um, you know few weeks. Um, you're going to see a trend with all of my picks. I have actually all second-year wide receivers 
um, ironically enough. And um, there actually are some really cool stats that back up uh, t- second year wide receiver play. So uh, this kind of works in my favor of sorts, but uh, a guy that I really like, I really like even more now that that Teddy Bridgewater is the, uh, the quarterback um, or announces QB one in Denver. Um, and that's Jerry Judy played at Alabama. I think when he was coming out of Alabama, I mean, with all these guys that have come out uh, over the last two years, Henry Ruggs, uh, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith, um, and a few other guys that are still playing uh, there. I mean, there was a large consensus that thought Jerry Judy was the best player on that team, um, or at least the best receiver on that team overall. And last year he had bad quarterback plays. Quarterbacks were injured, but still put up good numbers. Um, and, and this year I only see those numbers going up. I mean, we're talking about a guy that only had three touchdowns, you know, 52 receptions. So that's not a good, you know, reception to touchdown ratio overall, almost had a thousand yards though, just barely under 900. And like I mentioned, we're talking about a second year guy played all 16 games, had 113 targets. So, you know, he only caught about 15, 50% of um you know of his target share and you know that's a guy that that's a guy that we should see that increase with a a more accurate player and or quarterback in teddy bridgewater yeah i definitely agreed and once teddy two gloves was announced as the the starter uh, it was a wednesday afternoon that's when judy shot up my draft board he's gonna be a guy i'm actively targeting i think he might. You think he ends up in around like the fifth round? I think there's a lot of really good receivers in the fifth round, but I might be willing to to take him over a handful of those kind of guys. I mean, I think the best part right now is that there are some drafts where you might be able to get him in the, you know, in the sixth or maybe even like the top of the seventh. Right. And I don't know if there's a lot of guys that value the Bridgewater, um, you know, value the Bridgewater. Um, QB one like we do when it, when it comes to Judy, I don't even necessarily think that Bridgewater is better than than Locke. I just think that he's better for Jerry Judy. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. He's good at he's really accurate. He, I believe his his uh, passing percentage is just around seventy percent, seventy one percent over his career, and that's really what a guy like Jerry Judy needs—a possession receiver that you get the ball in his hands, then he goes and. Uh, I like the way Bridgewater throws the deep ball as well. And uh, Judy's a guy that I'm definitely going to be targeting. I'm not necessarily going to reach for him because I, I think that there's other guys that have potentially better opportunities with better quarterbacks. But Judy has all the all the talent in the world to really make it happen. So moving towards my very last guy is a guy that's a little bit interesting because he does. he's a guy that does not definitely does not have the talent of Jerry Judy. But he's a guy that I'm targeting late in fantasy drafts is Russell Gage from the Atlanta Falcons. Obviously, the the Falcons lost Julio Jones and still are touting Calvin Ridley as their number one receiver and a very good one at that. But there's targets to be had in an offense that is going to be throwing the ball a lot because they're going to be losing a lot because the Falcons are a terrible football team. So I think Matt Ryan's going to let it loose. And in the games that Julio Jones was out last year, Russell Gage was the benefactor, and he got a lot of targets. And once the ball's in his hands, he he's not – like I said, he's not – all that explosive, but he's a he's a good player that has a chance to put up some solid numbers, especially in PPR. So he's a guy that I'm excited to target in you know the 14th, maybe 13th round later on in drafts where you can get him at a good price. And he I think he, you can expect him to be a solid flex target, a wide receiver three or four for you. At the very worst, he's going to be a top 36 guy, maybe top 40 in my opinion. I think that he, he has that kind of floor for you where – 
Ridley's going to be double teamed constantly, and their teams are going to try to take him away. And if Russell Gage beats you, I think teams are going to be okay with that. And we know Matt Ryan likes to throw the ball. He has the most passes attempted in the NFL by a large margin over the last couple of years. So I'm excited for Russell Gage. I think he has, like I said, a high floor, but also a potentially high ceiling. Yeah, and I think that's where where me and you um, differ a little bit. And I I agree 100% on the fact that let's just say you go high upside at running back receiver early on in the draft and you just need a guy that, you know, you know is going to hit and be like that, like you mentioned, like no no worse than like your wide receiver four can play in your flex every now and then. I know in my league I have a double flex. So if he could sometimes be that double flex guy for me, then that, then that would be awesome. Uh, and like I said, specifically, if you're taking like high upside guys that have the opportunity to to bust of, um, you know, what for one reason or another, you know, then, then Gage is that guy. I tend to really go towards the upside um, of guys. And I don't know if I necessarily see Gage as someone that's going to like take all of Julio Jones's targets um, per se. Um, and then that's where that's where I don't necessarily see him being. And then it's kind of like how you mentioned where he's just not necessarily the most talented player, but good slot receiver, um, kind of maybe like a Jamison Crowder um, of sorts. And, and that can be, prov- uh, especially like you mentioned in PPR um, or half point PPR, that can be a valuable asset. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, Nathan, I'm excited to hear your last guy is another guy that I'm definitely targeting as well. Uh, he happens to be coming from your uh, your favorite team. Yeah, no. So, I mean, we are the Golden Homers podcast for a reason. We got to be homerish every now and then. Uh, we both like Chase Claypool, but we left him off. So, um, we knew that you guys would probably <laughs> get on us a little bit if we did that one. But, uh, no, a guy I'm really excited about, especially at his ADP, um, is a Darnell Mooney. Uh, if you're in a dynasty league specifically, I think Darnell Mooney's a tremendous pick. Um, Allen Robinson's in the last uh, year of his contract. No guarantee he's going to re-sign. I do think there's a better opportunity for him to re-sign now with Justin Fields um, in the fold. Um, but it's there's an avenue where Darnell Mooney's their number one wide receiver going into next year. And one injury to Allen Robinson, and he's your number one wide receiver this year. Um, you know, last year, horrible quarterback play overall with, with Trubisky and Foles. Um, I mean, Andy Dalton remains to be seen if he's going to be any better than those two guys. Um, but, you know, obviously the upside here is if Justin Fields can kind of take the reins and, and even Dalton, I think of sorts is at least a more accurate passer um, and a little bit mobile, mo- more mobile than Foles overall to where if they need to, if he needs to kind of push the pocket a little bit, he can. So, you know, you're looking at a guy that much like Judy should catch a lot more of the targets that are actually going his way. I mean, there were a lot of, I think most of his, um, you know, highlight real plays last year were overthrows where he was wide open. I know the big one is, you know, he kind of, he essentially broke Jalen Ramsey's uh, ankles uh, last year. That's kind of been the big Twitter one for Darnell Mooney and wide open probably was a touchdown. If it gets, you know, if it's thrown that way and, or thrown accurately, and, and it just goes, it goes in complete like 15 yards over his head. So, and there were plenty more of those. So yeah, no, Darnell Mooney's a guy that Chicago offense should be at least a little bit better than it was. Um, and, and he really showed out last year as a, you know, a potential really, really solid wide receiver down the road. Yeah, I'm definitely excited about Mooney and even more excited about his ADP right now. So I'm trying to keep him on the low, hopefully 
my buddies that are uh, that are drafted <laughs> with me here this. But um, yeah, I'm excited, man. They, it should have been like five or six more touchdowns if he wasn't overthrown last season, and then he he would be drafted like four or five rounds higher. So I'm trying to buy into that, buy into those uh, those numbers that would have been, and then hopefully snag him in my keeper league and keep him around for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and like I mentioned, I mean, he is a guy who had 98 targets last year as a fifth round rookie. So he's a guy that should see over 100 targets now this year, caught four touchdowns. So, I mean, all pretty much all of his numbers should increase pretty exponentially, in my opinion. Um, and I know that me and you are both really high on him overall. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely liking him. And he's in that group where there's some guys that are interesting to me, but Mooney Mooney comes above all of them. I'm interested in Michael Pittman around that range, two local teams for me and two guys that I followed closely. Pittman because he played against Notre Dame a handful of times, so I've known the name. And then Mooney just because the Bears are always on around here, so I watched him last season. And the talent's so obvious on the field. So yeah. getting a guy that can throw it to him consistently, get the ball in his hands, man, I, the it, the the ceiling is so high for Mooney. He's all the athleticism in the world. It's kind of crazy he was a fit. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think looking back on it, it's going to look like a, a silly, uh, um, you know, he probably should have picked, been picked in like the second round. But also, an all, we're talking about an all-time wide receiver class last year. Um, a lot of really good players slipped through the cracks, and I think Mooney was just one of them. Um, but you know what, guys? We've gone long enough, I think. This is probably going to be a little bit o- over an hour episode. Um, again, this is episode three of the Golden Homers podcast. Kudos to Tom Loy for hopping on. Talked a little Cubs socks. We got a big series coming up here uh, over the weekend, or maybe not big, if depending on what team you're rooting for. And then, uh, you know, a little fantasy football action for you guys. We're hoping to do that on a more consistent basis. And uh, yeah, you know, enjoy your fantasy drafts coming up. Hopefully, you pick some of our my guys. Let us know if you do. Um, and obviously, let us know if if our if uh, our my guys end up sucking for you down the road as well. We'll, we'll take the criticism when we can. Yep, and I'll uh, I should have three leagues drafted by our next episode. So I think I, I thought I was gonna have two for this one, but I they ended up getting moved back, which ended up being a good thing because uh, I would have probably drafted ETN and he's out for the season. So uh, I'm always a big com- big proponent of uh, later drafts. So we'll be able to live review my draft, Nathan. I think I'm gonna save my teams and uh, read them live for you, and maybe maybe you'll roast me a little bit. We'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, I got my redraft league on Saturday. I actually already made my dynasty, my or I already drafted my my new dynasty team this year. Actually, had ETN as well, so uh, at least it was dynasty versus redraft. But uh, yeah, but yeah, no guys, we, uh, we we'll both we'll give you guys a little rundown of what we did in our drafts um, on our next episode, which should still be before the uh, the football season starts for you. So, uh, like I said, feel free to to take our advice. Or, or tell us how crappy we did. So again, thanks for, thanks for joining the, the golden homers podcast. Uh, we'll see you guys next week.